Do you want to secure exclusive expert insight? We've commissioned a research piece with Shift Research to discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC. The finished report will give all B2B marketers across APAC a better understanding of how top firms are leveraging account-based marketing and the results they're getting within the region. We have a short survey you can access at xgrowth.com.au forward slash survey, which allows you to participate in this research. And your contribution is super important, even if you're not actively working on your ABM strategy right now. As a thank you for participating, we'll send you an early access version of the report and an invite to an expert Q&A webinar. To get started, head to xgrowth.com.au forward slash survey. That's x-g-r-o-w-t-h dot com dot au forward slash survey and secure your early access to these valuable insights today. Each episode on Growth Connie, we bring you B2B leaders to learn about their successes, fouls, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share the pod with a friend. And of course, make sure to join our community Slack channel at growthconnie.org forward slash Slack to connect with our members. Enough from me. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Julia Merrick, head of brand and content at Employment Hero, about how marketers either in the startup world or the enterprise space should change their approach to PR and also establish and communicate its ROI to the rest of the business. On that note, let's dive in. Julia, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Let's talk about PR. Let's talk about your view of it. My first question is, why do you think PR needs to be a strong focus for companies, especially in the startup scene? I, we, you know, we had a conversation a few weeks ago and you were talking about, in your opinion, it needs to be one of the core focuses, even in the early days where, you know, a lot of organizations are like, oh, no, PR is something that costs a lot of money and maybe we focus on it later. But you kind of disagree with that opinion. Why is that? Absolutely. I do disagree. And the reason for that is that, you know, PR really creates and sets up the strong foundation for all of your brand building later down the track. So not only does it establish you as a market leader, so, you know, number one, if you can get ahead of the pack really quickly and establish your brand in those early days as a market leader at the forefront of what you're developing or what you're providing to your customers, that's already, you know, a step ahead of your competitors. It also contributes to both short and long-term focus on generating brand awareness, uh, leads, as well as establishing your thought leadership, which is super important in the B2B space. I'm sure that's not news to anyone listening. I have a couple other points I'll run through. So it builds and refreshes your mental availability. So whenever your customer is willing to buy your top of mind, again, really helps to spin up that, I guess, very cliche to say, but the, the flywheel effect of your sales cycle. So if you've already introduced your product or your service and your brand you know, to the customer before they've even had a look at your website or seen an ad of yours or engaged with a piece of content, they know you're around, they they get it, and then they'll see those mental cues sort of refreshed as well through PR channels, you know, wherever they're sort of existing. And then when they're willing to buy, you know, you're kind of top of mind, right? Like they're ready to, to kind of interact and engage because they've been introduced to you and they've also had those little mental cues that, you know, are refreshing you in their mind. 
And it's great to have that in a place which isn't, you know, the traditional marketing channels that we think of these days, especially in digital, which is, you know, BBC, social ads, you know, your own channels like, you know, the CRM email, even organic socials. Like this is a really natural way of, of kind of that earned media that is in a place where you don't own it necessarily, but you've earned that placement. And so there's a really nice natural sort of introduction to your brand through that channel. Mm, got it. Got it. You know, maybe it's worth talking about how you look at PR because I feel like your view on PR is maybe a little bit different than how normal marketers or usual marketers, not normal, that doesn't sound right. Usually marketers look at PR or even, you know, startup founders look at PR. Tell me a little bit about that. Like how, what do you, how do you view PR? How do you think, you know, your view maybe be, maybe is a little bit different than how marketers usually look at PR? Yeah, definitely. So personally, I don't come from a traditional PR background. I started my career as a graphic designer. I moved into marketing and then specialized in content marketing. And I sort of fell into PR. Like I remember, you know, three months into my role, my CMO left quite suddenly at Employment Hero and she handed the reins <laughs> to me. Uh, and I'd had a little bit of experience um, assisting her in those three months that she was around. But then when she was gone, it was kind of up to me to lead that. And I guess I came at it from an approach of content marketing, which is all about trust, right? So with content marketing, my personal opinion on content marketing, I like to call them resources. I like to build trust. It's a two-way communication between you and your audience in delivering, you know, the information that they need in a way that's timely, engaging, you know, educational, entertaining. There's so many different ways to look at content, but essentially it's a resource. And it also helps, yeah, I guess, you know, help them have a great idea of who your brand is and what you have to say. So that was where I was coming at PR from. So obviously I've learned over the years, it's also about, you know, brand reputational management and risk management and narrative creation and, and consistency. But at the very core of it, I still think it's about that relationship building. So how can you leverage PR to basically help inform your custom, your potential customers, I guess, in the wider community about who you are as a, as a company, what you stand for, what's important to you, what are the values that you, you are behind. And then you'll naturally start attracting people who start seeing you as more than just a, a product or a service. They're like, hey, this is a company that has something to say and it's important. And I just think that that relationship built on trust is, is a really useful tool, often overlooked in marketing strategy. And you could, you could argue, you know, there are certainly people who believe that comms is a separate function to marketing, but I just, I don't agree. Like, how can you deliver a consistent messaging, like message, sorry, across all your channels without those two hand, being hand in hand? If your content is saying one thing, like, you know, you've got a particular tone of voice going on there, but then your tone of voice in media and comms is completely different that's really inconsistent and it kind of creates a bit of a jarring effect, right? It comes across quite disingenuous to your audience and they're going to see right through that. So, yeah, I, I think coming at it from that content background really helped. I think PR is definitely still very much about relationship building and, uh, and a point I didn't touch on earlier actually when you asked the first question, you know, why, why it's so important is going back to relationship building. If you're in your early stage as a startup, and you're able to start building those relationships with key media contacts early on in your journey. And these are truly, you know, two-way trusted relationships. When you find yourself in a position either of opportunity or threat, you can really take advantage and leverage those existing relationships to your betterment. 
So if you wait, let's say you're a company that's been, you know, in market for about five, six years, you've had pretty good consistent growth, but you haven't had any PR really, not any sort of traditional PR anyway. Maybe you've done a couple of press releases through the media wire, whatever it is, but you haven't actually taken the time to build those relationships up. Now, there's two scenarios where this is really dangerous. The the first scenario is let's consider your your brand has had something, you know, crazy happen. Like let's say one of the founders said or did something that was completely out of line with your values, just looked really bad. Now, when you go out to media to try and control the narrative to try and fix that damage, it's going to be way harder because you haven't built up those relationships, right? You haven't introduced and fostered that relationship with media. So that's already one risk. You're on the the back foot there. The second risk, which I guess isn't so much of a risk, more as a, a missed opportunity, is that if you're landing, you know, you're starting to actually see a lot of growth and you're you're getting a lot of, you know, investment from, you know, outside in investment, you know, VCs or whatever, or even private, like whatever it is, or you're going for an IPO or you're doing a merger and acquisition, you know, merger and acquisition and you don't have that relationship. Again, you run the risk of not being able to control your narrative because you haven't built up the relationships necessary to get ahead of that. And often what will happen is, you know, you'll put this on the desk of a journal and they'll go, well, I don't really know you. Like what what's in it for me? Why would I cover this? <laughs> but if you've actually spent time to nurture those relationships and you've given them really good stories, really good research, case studies, you know, worked collaboratively with them, you know, in the lead up to these major events, you're much more likely to get a better result. So I just wanted to touch on that. I think, you know, it all comes down to relationships, but just to go back to the first question, I just really needed to touch on that because from a real brand sort of risk and I guess, you know, missed opportunity point of point of view, I think founders really need to get their head around that in particular. Julia, where do you start with that? I feel like a lot of a lot of founders, a lot of people, you know, that are I mean, usually larger organizations have a PR team that takes care of this. So it it it's the starting point is usually a challenge for smaller organizations, especially the ones that are new to to the space and they need to get some some uh, awareness. Where should I start? Because I feel like a lot of founders or, you know, maybe f- uh, the first marketing hire in an organization is like, oh, my God. First of all, it feels like it's going to cost a fortune and it's just it, it also it's this vast sea that just gets labeled as PR. Where do I get started? What's what's your advice on that front? Absolutely. So there are two ways to approach this. If you're a founder who does have interest in being involved with media directly and you're, you know, a pretty good people person, you actually are excited about the idea of working with media, you actually can drive that. You know, you can start building those relationships yourself. And I can explain that in a second. The second option, if you are a little bit more time poor and you would really rather focus on building your business, I highly, highly recommend hiring either a consultant, a senior consultant, or a small, you know, it doesn't have to be very big, but a small, fairly well-established PR agency. So that's what we actually, we work with three PR agencies. For full transparency, I don't actually do much of the direct, you know, one-to-one relationship building work. I do a lot of the internal management of talent and and opinion and comment commentary and just the coordination of that. But for those external relationships, we have three PR agencies that operate within our three core markets right now. And I have to, you know, honestly give them credit because without them, the success that we've had would just not have been possible, right? Because they already have all the relationships. They have that trust. They know exactly what to say, what to do to get you that cut through. 
And I just think if you are a founder who is more focused on really being, you know, more, you know, the higher level strategic thinking, don't bother, right? Just get someone in to do it. It's not as expensive as you'd think. I can absolutely promise it's about the same cost as usually like getting a consultant or a, um, a, an agency on a retainer, for instance, per month can be the cost of a full-time PR hire. And you're getting then all of their existing relationships, right? And the fact they also work with other people in the industry, usually they have all these different contacts. You're getting, you're not just, you know, paying for their direct service, you're paying for all those those existing relationships. So that's my, yeah, those are my two pieces of advice. If you are a founder who is really curious to start getting involved and you, you want to do a bit of PR, then I have three core rules, which I did not come up with myself. They're just well known in the industry. And recently I actually sat on a really great panel with this amazing comms expert called Kate Lord. She's she's managing all the PR and comms for the Tech Council of Australia, if you want to go follow her, if you're anyone listening. And then there's Lainey Scar, and she's a political journalist that broke the story on the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, doggy battle saga with Barnaby Joyce. You know, I was just recently, it was just so good sitting on that on that panel and hearing them talk because they've both got, you know, so much experience. And they summed it up really well and they sort of, you know, summed up the three core rules and it refreshed it in my mind. Now, the three core rules, and it's like the biggest, I guess, I hate the word hack, but it really is a PR hack. So before you go to a journalist, these are the three rules. You need to have a stat, you need to have a story and have a sound bite. So what that looks like in practice is with a stat, if you can create a really ownable, you know, research-driven statistic, which I will get to, we actually do a lot of this in Employment Hero, but have a stat. So have some piece of insight or research that you can kind of, you know, help the journalist create a really good headline from. The story is, I guess, the story, right? Have a story, have something to say. And usually something that appeals to either the niche market you're targeting or the broad general public, which is a lot harder. And we've we've struggled, trust me. Broad public is a whole different kettle of fish. But if you are usually in B2B, it's more niche anyway. So you can kind of reach those industry publications and a story will probably resonate depending on what you're talking about. But just don't make it so much about yourself, right? Make it about them. Similar with content, right? When you when you have content, you're telling a story. It's not about you as a company. It's often about you know your customers' pain points or opportunities, whatever it looks like. And then you have a soundbite. And so when you present that to the journalist, you have usually a thought leader that you've put the little soundbite behind. So if you're a founder and you're pitching this out yourself, you could just say, "Here's a paragraph statement that I'm providing for you to weave into the the story if you'd like." And basically a quote that they can really just like chop and change and get some really nice bits of juicy like. Yeah, I guess sound bites from. And then you add your own little, you know, make sure you attach a headshot. And again, invest in this. I highly recommend that you invest in a really high quality, nice headshot. Don't just take one on your iPhone with your office in the background. Like, please try and, you know, try and spend a little bit of money on production. It's worth it, I promise, especially for print. If you're looking at, you know, print as a, as a medium and yeah, have a little bio ready to go as well. And for the bio, short, and sweet is my advice. You don't need your entire employment history. Just have a little short paragraph summary and that is perfect. Yeah, probably like three to four sentences. So like really a paragraph. So you wanna just introduce yourself, what you do, the company very quickly, and then maybe a little bit of background of your entire, you know, key point milestones in your employment history. You know, maybe something around any particular award that you've won or anything you've been recognized for and any sort of like at the very end, I always like to include a bit of personalization. So maybe include a fun fact or like something that, you know, drives you in terms of hobbies or interests 
or even any charity or organizational work that you're you're involved with or if you're a part of a board for instance sorry i know it sounds like a lot and it does require no, a lot of editing <laughs> i think this is great this is great tell me a little bit more about the soundbite right you said like provide yeah. them with a quote from yourself what should people kind of think about or take into consideration when when they're putting that soundbite together yeah so <laughs> media loves a bit of negativity I highly suggest you steer clear of this. It is often easier to do a bit of a reactionary statement, you know, that says, oh, I disagree, that's dumb, blah, blah, blah. It's better to present a challenge and then an opportunity or solution, right? So maybe your commentary could be, you know, something really clear and succinct advice. It could be a really clear opinion that has a sort of a positive angle to it or you're again you're presenting an opportunity consider how you can be an advocate or a spokesperson for your target audience so what we do at employment hero is you know ben who is ben thompson is our ceo and founder and he started our company after being an employment lawyer for 20 years right so that's his little special special bread and butter i guess you could talk about this employment law angle and about keeping employers safe and then we can link our product pretty naturally to that but we don't often like to we just sort of talk more of the advocate angle so ben will come in and he'll have a little commentary about you know what does this mean for a business owner you know and he'll give a bit of advice and just a bit of like a an opinion and he yeah again he just kind of is that advocate for the community so i think with the soundbite make it really personal you don't want to come off as like a really polished corporate <laughs> spiel it, it should feel like someone talking that again and and look if you have a strong opinion get behind it if you can back it up like go for it you know you can be a little bit controversial just be prepared if you do go down the negative angle just be really careful is my advice because that is you know once it's out there it's out there forever <laughs> paints a target on your back and it's a target yeah they're all also you know there's always gonna be someone that's going to disagree with you always absolutely the amount of times we put things out on media and you know you go to the comment section and it's just an absolute mixed bag like we can't ever you can never get it 100 right and that's absolutely fine and if you don't have look if you're scared of that again hire a professional to manage that for you but if you're willing to get your teeth sunk you know sunk in and you want to have a bit of fun and start playing with it you know go for it but just be prepared that there is some risk that is involved yeah the massacre of the comment section julia tell me a little bit about kpis okay so you know, I, I'm convinced, cool, I, I definitely think that we should do PR, but hey, how do I measure it? Where do I measure it? How do I communicate that? How do you approach uh, PR KPIs? Yeah, definitely. And this is one we're still working on. It's actually, it's so hard to get the specifics in PR because often you're using other people's channels, right? Like you're, you can only take the word of the publication you've got that coverage through. So they might say they have, you know, X amount of reach, but realistically, we don't know how many people have actually seen that piece of content. So I'll just give that context to start with, but there are a couple of really good KPIs that we do like to look at. So there's volume. So your volume KPI is total number of media mentions. So that could be in a month, you know, how many times were you mentioned in media? If you're just starting out, maybe it's a year. You know, how many times can you just get a media spot for yourself? And over time, you want to see that increase, right? So some months, they fluctuate. So some months, especially with seasonality, so if stuff's going on. And right now is a perfect example of a really volatile political situation in the world. We've had natural disasters. We've had all sorts of stuff going on. 
a pandemic, you know, we're competing with a lot of noise. So definitely consider seasonality, but over time, very similar to SEO. I like to think of it actually as, you know, how you want to have consistent growth. You might have dips certain times if there's been a Google algorithm update or whatever it is, or if your site's had an issue, but over time, you want to have steady upwards growth, right? So that's the same with volume, total number of media mentions. There's quality. So quality is percentage of top tier media mentions. So I would recommend you target about mm, two to three really high quality top tier publications that you want to go after and try and get your way into them. And they are hard. And when you crack it, it is the best feeling. It's so worth it. They take a lot more negotiating, obviously, and a lot of relationship building because they're getting pictures, like these journos are getting pictures from everyone, right? All the time, all day, every day. (laughs) So you really need to work on those. But once you've earned that spot, it can be just so rewarding. So yeah, percentage of top tier media mentions is the quality. There's also your reach and impressions number. So this is the sum of viewership for publications and websites, which, you know, where your coverage is mentioned. Again, I would say take this one with a grain of salt. This is what I mentioned before about you don't really know for a fact, you know, how many people are going to view this, but you can have general guesses for publications and they will provide their readership like number of people usually that are seeing the site or reading the newspaper or tuning in to a radio station or a TV show. You've got share of voice. So this is your percentage of coverage for your specific brand, your products, whatever it is, Your even if you want to target your executives. So how, how often are they getting, you know, coverage compared to your competitors? So as an FYI for this one, it's very hard to do it manually. So with share of, share of voice, I would recommend getting a, listen, a social listening tool like Meltwater. Again, for transparency, we don't have that implemented just yet. We've been looking at that one as well as a couple of different solutions. But we know for a fact that a lot of our agencies are using Meltwater to look at that data. And Meltwater is just a really clever um, social listening tool that essentially can look all the coverage happening and see and and sort of track your name against your competitor names and see the, the volume of coverage coming through for that share of voice. My final piece of advice, and it can be a little bit costly, but is so so important and has been the number one i would say key indicator of our success is we we run regular brand tracking to track the performance of our brand over time so the first time we ran this brand tracker was in i believe march last year but don't quote me on that one well i'm I'm now recorded saying that but it was definitely early it was definitely early 2021 we did go through a brand refresh and a new website in the middle of last year and then we did another brand dip in november 2021 And this was where we saw some really interesting results. So in November 2021, we surveyed 512 SME business decision makers in Australia to look into their awareness and consideration of our brand. Now, what was really interesting is that our PR channels, so quote a news website, radio slash podcast or TV, outperformed all other channels, including paid. So I'll break the name further because we're talking about consideration and awareness. This was actually for the impact of channel for consideration. So really important in the decision-making process, right? So even though we had higher levels of awareness on our paid channels, like, you know, Google Display or Facebook, LinkedIn, in terms of considering each, you know, employment here and then recall for that consideration, those PR channels made the biggest impact. You know, they had the significant positive impact that we wanted to see Um, in that purchasing decision-making process. Now, I'm not going to make assumptions because I just don't know why that's the case. You know, I think that it could be up to a couple of different hypotheses, but my my biggest one is probably that people still do trust traditional media. So if they're going to, you know, let's, let's give a really good example. 
the AFR, Australian Financial Review, Sydney Morning Herald, and they see a brand mentioned, you know, a couple of times throughout the year, they're probably going to start thinking these guys are pretty legit, right? They're like, these guys are doing something different. They have something to say. They're trustworthy, you know, to an extent, I suppose, because I trust this place that I'm reading it from or I'm hearing it from, whatever it is. So because it's an external sort of validation for our brand, I think it really does impact that decision-making process. So if you're an, if you're a found, you know, a founder and you're still questioning, I hope by now I've helped convince <laughs> with data that this really does make such an impact on your purchasing power, you know, for the getting those leads across the line and helping them, you know, be convinced that you're the one to choose. So yeah, I just want to end with that one. It was just so interesting to see, you know, how how like yeah, PR and and media you know, outperformed our traditional paid performance channels. I love that. I love that. I mean, you know, there's there's some really interesting KPIs you talked about there. The the media mentions, the quality of where you uh, where you get your PR published, the reach and impression, share of voice, and and brand tracking. So uh, so th- there's there's plenty over there for for people to kind of start considering when it comes to uh, measuring the impact of of their um, of their PR. Tell me a little bit about repurposing, because I think that's another component where it it has an impact where a founder or again, a marketer is like, oh my God, this is going to be so costly, but maybe they don't see some of the potential repurposing opportunities that uh, could could make, make the effort really cost effective. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I completely get that. And I myself think we need to do more of it, to be honest. So I'll be the first to admit that as a team, often the way we repurpose content is we'll do the content first and then we transition it to PR. But what I'd like to highlight is recently, not recently, actually in the last year or so, we hired a insights research manager in the marketing team. And her role is to basically inform all of our marketing efforts with like a really, you know, solid data-driven approach. And We've created a strategy now that every quarter, and I feel like about to give away a big trade secret here, so feel free to have this information, everyone, because it's very powerful. <laughs> every quarter, when we do our campaign, like con- you know, content campaign planning, um, and at the year we already have an idea of the, you know, at the beginning of the year we already have an idea of the year ahead, but for each quarter we have our campaign idea, which is actually centered on an insights research report. So not only is all of our content our campaign content centered around that report, a lot of our PR work is as well. So it's really hand in hand in terms of that alignment amplification of our key messaging. So we've got content going around, you know, saying X, Y, Z. We've got PR saying X, Y, Z. We've got thought leaders who are saying X, Y, Z. We've got events that say X, Y, Z. And we're establishing ourselves as a thought leader, right? So a really good example of this is last quarter, we, you know, we produced a report for each of our key markets called the Employee, Employee Movement and Retention Report. And this looked at more than 1,000 employees in a number of our markets and kind of looked at their sentiments around staying with the current company, if they're looking to change roles. And we sort of jumped on the back of the great resignation, you know, conversation that was having, that was being had, you know, and we created an event series off the back of this research report we had um, media roundtables, so we invited key contacts of the media to se- briefing sessions. So almost like having li- like digital press conferences. And we had our you know our thought leaders, so Ben, Zassi, our co-founder, and Alex, who is our chief people officer, you know, present you know talks and and events and and comment on the research report that we we'd put together or these research reports we'd 
we'd produced. And then all, yeah, all the content was feeding back into that and, you know, driving lots of link juice back to the report. So all the articles that we were doing, other downloadables that then, you know, spoke back to the report. And it was just the most amazing cohesive campaign. And even now, so we actually started that campaign in September last year. In March this year, so that's what, six months, we're still getting PR coverage from that. So people are still picking up the report and going, X amount of employees want X or this does this. You know, just this week, so it's Wednesday, on Monday, Ben had interviews in New Zealand leveraging the data that we we had done in these reports. Not only in that report, but a report we'd also done around remote work in May or June last year as well. So I've given, I've given the big trade secret away is, you know, if you can, as a B2B like marketer, create cohesive and, you know, I guess all-encompassing campaigns around insights and research, you are already going to be so much easier. Um, you know, it's going to be so much easier for you to pitch that into media. You've got the content going. You've got it in paid. You've got events, webinars. It just creates the best foundation for any campaign, in my opinion, right now. Yeah, it's just so important. Curve. I love that. I love that. Okay. This this was awesome, but I want to ask you some rapid fire questions, Julia, before we wrap up. Let's let's do this. The first question I want to ask you is give me one resource. It could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be a Netflix series that has fundamentally changed the way you you work or live. Yeah. And again, I feel like a lot of people will say this, but How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp and his colleagues at, um, I think it's the Ehrenberg Bass Institute in South Australia. It was just so interesting for me to read proper scientifically, you know, evidence-based marketing strategy as opposed to just going by, you know, gut feel and learning so much more about, you know, how your brand can actually stand apart. So that one definitely is a book I recommend for sure. Can I actually give you one more thing? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do two. Two. The TED Talk that I highly recommend everyone go listen to is Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance presented by Angela Lee Duckworth in 2000, I think in 13. Absolutely amazing. It talks about, it's like six minutes and it will change the way you think of success. So I, I really recommend you think about Grit because it's, uh, you know, and just that talk. It's not about, you know, talent. It's not about... Discipline, it's all about grit, which I just love. I love that. Thank you very much for that. I, I actually heard about grit and uh, I haven't checked it out. I just wrote it down to uh, to make sure I, t- I take a look at it. Okay, let's do question number two. If you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Yep. So, stay humble, hungry, smart. It's not something I came up with myself, but I, I basically live by it and I hire the people in my team around that methodology as well. And that is don't let your ego get in the way, you know, chase improvement, even if it's just that 1% every day, you know, there's always something to learn. There's always something that you're probably going to be wrong about and just accept that failure is inevitable and that will just help you so much. That is such good advice. Question number three, give me some of the influencers that you follow. Who, who are some of the people in the marketing space that you regularly look at or listen to that have had a, uh, you know, you, you enjoy listening to? Yeah, for sure. So the first one's Dan Kelsall. He's the co-founder at Offended, which is, I believe, a British sort of marketing agency. And he is just out of control. He hates the traditional rules of marketing and he's so funny. 
uh, and he's he's great at what he does. So definitely recommend him. There's Candy Williams, who's the head of content design at Bumble. Now, this one's really interesting because content design is this new kind of, I mean, it's not new. It's always been there, but I feel like it's definitely gaining maturity, just like content marketing gained maturity. Content design is more about the intersection of copy and product. So when we talk about content design, it's looking at the content that you create for a, usually for a product, so platform and for Bumble's case, obviously the app. And she's just so great at what she does. And she talks on leadership. She talks on the content design aspect on product, um, on SaaS and social commentary as well. So Candy Williams, I really like Chris Walker and MJ Peters from Refine Labs. In fact, Refine Labs in general, I don't always agree with what they have to say, but I do think they have some really interesting points. And then there's finally Dave Gerhardt, founder at DGMG. And he's just an all round, really great B2B brand sort of content marketing guy. That is a pretty solid list, Julia. <laughs> there at the moment. I feel like it, it's always changing. I know, I know, but that's that's uh, that's an awesome list. All right, last question. What's something that excites you about B2B today? Yeah, just how fast it's changing. Um, I remember when, you know, content marketing was in its infancy. Like I was one, I feel like I was at that precipice, right? Um, and that was not even 10 years ago. Look at the growth maturity of the function. And that's just one part of the whole of, you know, B2B marketing in general, B2B overall. And I can't see what's, you know, I can't wait to see what's next. I'm looking at, you know, AI, hyper-personalization, ABM, hybrid events I mentioned before, and the rise of that full surf, full service creative teams in-house as well. And I just, I'm just so excited for it. I think we're going to really move away from the corporate like spiel and the, the traditional way of doing things and really move into more of that fun flex of brands, which I just can't wait for. I love it. Julia, this has been a really awesome conversation. I I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think you dropped a lot of golden nuggets and uh, and and great insights. So uh, I think a lot of the listeners are going to enjoy. And I want to just say uh, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. This episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Samito with additional editing and music also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make this show without you. The show is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Yes, you can rate on Spotify now, so please do. And share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. If you'd like to connect with the members of Growth Colony, join our free Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support and we'll see you again in the next one.